Thank you, Ben. So those, those are some examples of things that without what they go with, they're pretty useless. Uh, there are lots of useless things in the world. Am I right? I mean, if you watch, you know, like some of these TV channels like the, the shopping channel or whatever, or you look at some of these commercials online or even some of the stuff that pops up on your Facebook page, there's a lot of stuff you can buy out there that's pretty useless, right? Well, I went online and found some pictures of some things that are just useless, like that peephole on that door. Why would you put a peephole on a door with a big glass window? Or what, what's up with that staircase? It's literally a staircase to nowhere. It's useless. Uh, or what about this next one? A gate without a fence is useless. Why? Why? Why is that even there? Or I like this next one especially. Uh, diet water. Because you know that water is so fattening, so high in calories. You got to, you got to buy. I'm going to start drinking diet water. That's my problem. That's what I've been doing wrong all this time. I'm not drinking diet water. Uh, this next one it baffles me. What is the point of that wheelchair ramp? I mean, seriously. It's like some cruel joke. I, I don't understand that at all. It make, it's so bizarre. And, and so is this next one. This is my favorite one. They just taped a picture of a headlamp on their car. I mean, doesn't even... I mean, what is going on there? They, they hope they don't expect that to work at night, right? So, have you ever heard the expression that it's about as useless on a like a screen door on a submarine? You ever heard that? It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Well, to this list of useless things, James would add faith without works. Faith without works is useless. Now, this topic of having a faith that works, and that is the, the title of the sermon series, James, a faith that works, it's the crux of James's argument in his entire letter. He's already told us and warned us not to deceive ourselves, that, it, that if we're only hearers of God's Word, we're not doers of God's Word, he said we deceive ourselves. He's told us several times to be careful not to be deceived. He told us that our religion is useless. If we can't control our speech and show acts of compassion on others and keep ourselves unstained by the world, and he's been saying all of these things to build up to this point. Faith without works is dead. It's as useless as a screen door on a submarine. In fact, there's a song by Rich Mullins, I love this song, called It's About As Useless As A Screen, as a screen Door on a Submarine. And you might remember a few years ago, we had uh, Matt and Julia and Brad and Natalie, and I think maybe there was somebody else up here singing that song with cups. Do you remember that? It was, it's kind of, kind of a fun thing. Uh, it's a great song. I just want to read you some of the lyrics. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Faith without works, it just ain't happening. I know that's not proper English. That's just the song. One is your left hand, one is your right. It'll take two strong arms to hold on tight. He says, well, there's a difference, you know, between having faith and playing make-believe. One will make you grow. The other one just makes you sleep. And then the chorus says, faith without works, it's like a song you can't sing. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. I encourage you to download that song. Pull it up on Spotify listen to it. It's a great song. If we neglect caring for the widows and the orphans and people in distress, if we can't control our tongues, if we can't keep ourselves unstained from the world, then is our faith useful? 
Is ours a faith that works? Do we have a fruitful faith or a fruitless faith? Look with me, if you will, at James chapter 2. Now, this is really kind of part one of a two-part message. And the, the Sunday, Sunday, September 11th, I'll preach the second part of this. Today, we're just going to look at verses 14 through 19. The first part of this portion on faith and works. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. You know, there are some things that we say that are universal as Christians, right? We say things like, Jesus loves me. Jesus, God so loved the world. Jesus Christ is Lord. Salvation is by grace through faith. Right? Those are just some universal things that all Christians, all denominations can say and agree on. Well, James here, the, remember James, the half-brother of Jesus, leader of the Jerusalem church, he seems to kind of call that last one, salvation is by grace through faith, he seems to kind of call that into question, doesn't he? When you read this passage, James certainly does get our attention. On the surface, this notion that faith alone can't save us, we need works, seems to contradict everything else the Bible says about faith. It seems to go against what Martin Luther and John Calvin and all the other Protestant reformers fought for. Sola fide, faith alone. What is James getting at here? I mean, doesn't Hebrews 11.6 even say without faith? It is impossible to please God. Didn't Paul explicitly write in Ephesians, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what's going on? Which is it? Is it faith alone? Or is it faith plus works? I can understand how people read this passage and get a little confused and concerned about this seeming contradiction, but as is often the case, it's a false dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy. It's not faith or works. It's not faith and works. It's a faith that works. It's not works in addition to the faith. James is just describing the kind of faith that God is after. What kind of faith does God require? In fact, the author of Hebrews after he talks about this, uh, you know, faith, you can't please God without faith, he then uses the rest of Hebrews 11 to describe the kind of faith that pleases God. He uses several Old Testament heroes to demonstrate what saving, God-pleasing faith looks like, and it's a faith that works. It's a faith that risks. It's a faith that sacrifices and serves and obeys. And in the same way, James spends the rest of his letter describing what kind of religion God finds that is fruitful, useful, pure and faultless. 
This, this is why it's important to never just read a Bible verse. Don't ever just read a verse. Always read it in context. Always read more than one verse because it's so easy to take them out of context. James is focused on how Christians live by faith. The very heart of his concern is that we not only hear and read God's Word, but we do what it says, right? We're to be doers of God's Word. James makes it clear that the faith of all those Old Testament prophets that that we read about in Hebrews 11, it was more than just verbal professions for them. It was more than just words for them. Saving faith has to be about more than just nice words we tell ourselves or others. You know, it's not like a slick political speech that promises the moon and then after election day they don't deliver, right? That's not the kind of faith that we have. Our faith has to deliver. It has to be the driving force in what we say and do. Apparently that wasn't the case for some of these people that James was writing to. He was, in the churches he was writing to, there were obviously people whose faith made no difference in the way they lived their lives. And so James makes his point, you know, kind of like last week he used a hypothetical situation. James likes to follow Jesus in using kind of parables and hyperbole and little proverbs. And so in this passage, James creates an imaginary debate. Okay, it's a debate with this imaginary opponent who's arguing that faith and works have nothing to do with each other. And I think this person represents those that James is calling out as having a fruitless faith. So he begins here in verse 14 with the question. The question, can deedless faith save? Look with me again at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? That's the question. And it's a rhetorical question. James is anticipating us to answer no. That's the answer that he's looking for. Just because someone claims to have faith doesn't mean they really do, does it? They can claim all kinds of things. It doesn't make them so. A faith without works is no good, James says. It doesn't work. It cannot save. True saving faith is fruitful. And the fruit that it bears in our lives is our works, our deeds. It's what Jesus said on a New Testament reading this morning from the Sermon on the Mount. If you're an apple tree, what are you going to produce? Apples. Not oranges, not figs, not grapes, apples. What is on the outside is made apparent by what's on the inside, by what kind of a tree it is. And that's the way true faith works. The faith in our hearts is made clear by the fruit in our lives. So if there's no fruit, it's logical to conclude there's no faith. That's the question. James follows up this rhetorical question with an example. Okay, here's a little, a little hypothetical situation, and I like to call this warm wishes on a cold night. Look at verse 15 again. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? What good is it? James is painting a picture of someone in dire need of physical aid. They're naked. They're hungry. It's bitterly cold outside. This is a life or death situation. This is somebody who needs immediate help right now. This isn't someone who just can't afford to pay their cell phone bill. 
This isn't just somebody who has to work a second job to make ends meet. This is somebody who's in dire need. And it's not just anybody, it's a fellow Christian. He says, if you see a brother or a sister who is among the destitute and the distressed, they're like the widow or the orphan, they desperately need immediate help. I mean, it'd be like, can you imagine having someone that you sit with in church? Maybe they're in your Sunday school class. And, and you come across them during the week and they are in such dire need and you're able to help them. But you do nothing more than say, may you be warm and well fed. You have my thoughts and prayers. And you walk on. And you do nothing. That would be useless. That would be heartless. James says it would be faithless. Such a situation demands a response beyond lip service. Now, that's not to say that a, an encouraging text isn't a good thing. It's not to say that sending somebody a card is, is a bad thing. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying he's not even saying that thoughts and prayers aren't effective, especially prayers, right? I mean, our thoughts don't do much, but our prayers are effective. No, James is saying that we must follow up that card, that text, that prayer with action. What are we also going to do to help the person in need? How many people today, how many Christians, how many churches are looking at where we are as a country right now? How many of us do this and we worry and we complain? And we get together with our friends and we solve all the world's problems, don't we? We think we do, but does talking about it solve anything? No. We do nothing. Maybe we don't vote. We don't speak up. We don't get involved in our kids' schools or in our community to make a difference and to turn things around. We're not much different than the politicians in, in Washington that love to campaign on what's wrong with everything, but then when they're in office, they don't do anything to change it. They don't do anything to make a difference. It's, it's pandering without any payoff. There are a lot of Christians that live their life that way. How many of us are content to see people in need, whether it's around the world or next door? And to know that we can help, to know that we can do something... How many of us know somebody who's lost and dying and going to hell and we've got the gospel that we could share with them, but we do nothing? We say, depart in peace. Be warm and well fed. It's not enough to express a commendable desire to help, to wish someone well, because what good does that do if we don't actually meet their needs? It's nothing but virtue signaling. Nothing's changed. The brother or the sister still outside starving in the cold. All that's been done is some words have been said. Mere words are worthless if they don't lead us to action. Now, let me just offer and just say, this doesn't mean that every time you see somebody with a piece of cardboard on the side of the road, you have to stop and give them money. It doesn't mean that every person who comes to the church gets exactly what they ask us for. There is wisdom here in how you help someone. Does God give us everything we ask Him for? No, because He knows it's not always good for us. So it doesn't mean you have to hand out money to everybody who asks for money, but it means you look for ways that you can use your gifts, your resources, your talents to help people who are in need, who have no other recourse. That's what James is saying. We don't turn a blind eye and a deaf ear and walk on when we know this person and we know we can do something to help them. Faith is useless if it's just words. 
And so this brings us to James's conclusion in verse 17, that faith without works is dead. Look again at verse 17. In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Faith not accompanied by actions is dead and it's useless as well wishes to a naked, starving person on a winter's night. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. And James isn't the only one to say this. John, in 1 John 3, 17 and 18, writes, If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does the love of God reside in him? James said, how can that person's faith save him? John says, how can God's love reside in someone who willingly, knowingly turns their back on a brother or sister in need? He says, little children, let us not love in word or in speech, but in action and in truth. So whether it's John talking about love or James talking about faith, they're making the same point. Jesus made this point. Last week we looked at this, the, uh, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus says that at the judgment day, He will separate the saved from the lost based on the evidence of their faith, based on how they treated the least of these. Did they visit the sick? Did they feed the hungry? Did they clothe the naked? How we treat others is evident of what we really feel and believe about Jesus and how we love Jesus. And in that parable, Jesus clearly says, there are going to be people on that day of judgment surprised that they're with the goats. And there will be some surprised that they're with the sheep. Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So in this not-so-imaginary conversation, James's words have sparked a debate. The crux of his argument is that faith without works is dead. But now his imaginary opponent's going to jump in. Here's where the debate happens, okay? So he jumps in, and here's the debate. Is it faith? Is it works? How do these things work together? Look with me again at verses 18 and 19. But someone will say, so here's the the opponent, you have faith and I have works. And James answers, show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. Now, some people want to say that James's imaginary opponent is actually Paul or that he's thinking of the Apostle Paul as he writes this. And, and we've already talked about this. On the surface, it does seem a little contradictory. It does seem like on the surface maybe James and Paul are at odds here. But once again, James and Paul are not in disagreement on the doctrine of salvation. They're not. In Galatians, Romans, and Ephesians especially, Paul goes to great length to discuss the idea that we are saved by grace apart from anything we can do. We are not saved by our works. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't build our own staircase to heaven. We are saved by God's grace apart from the works of the law. So I understand how people can be confused about what Paul is saying and what James is saying. They even, and and we'll get to this in the next sermon, they even both use Abraham... to to justify their position. So, yeah, I understand why people get a little confused here. Paul says in Galatians 3.11, clearly no one is justified before God by the law, by the Old Testament Jewish law, 
because the righteous will live by faith. So again, it's like law versus faith. In Romans 3.28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. And, and I've already read part of this, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But here's the clarifying sentence. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the statement that lets us know that Paul and James are in perfect agreement. See, James is, is, is wanting us to look into the mirror of God's Word and examine ourselves. Do I have true faith or is my faith just lip service? Am I just a hearer of God's Word or am I a doer of God's Word? Remember, James has told us repeatedly so far, do not be deceived. Do not deceive yourselves. And there's nothing worse to be deceived on than about our own salvation, right? That has eternal consequences. James doesn't want us to be deceived about this. Now, it's important to note that both James and Paul are writing these letters at the same time. Galatians and James were both written at about the same time, and they were both written around the time or right after the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. Now, in Acts chapter 15, uh, Peter has come and he's saying, Hey, guys... Um, you know, uh, we've got all these Gentiles out there, and Paul comes, and we've got all these Gentiles out there that are coming to faith in Christ. And here's the debate in Acts 15. Do they have to become Jews before they can become Christians? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to observe the Sabbath day? Do they have to observe Passover? Can they eat bacon? That kind of stuff, you know. And basically the Jerusalem council led by James. James was the leader of the church during this council and they concluded that no, thankfully, we can eat bacon and still follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. He said no, they don't have to become Jewish first. There are certain Old Testament laws that are universal for everybody, right? Don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Those are some laws that everybody should follow. But the ritual laws we don't have to follow as Gentiles. So, in that context, it's easier to see how James and Paul are not in disagreement about the nature of salvation by grace through faith alone. Nor are they in a disagreement that a Christian's faith should be demonstrated in how they live and serve. Kent Hughes helpfully explains it this way in his commentary on James. He said, Paul's teaching about faith and works focuses on the time before conversion. Paul is focused on What's the process? What is it that happens that leads up to the moment you're saved? You are justified by faith. You're made right with God by faith. James, on the other hand, is focusing on after conversion. What difference in your life does it make since Jesus came into your heart? They're looking at the same issue from two different directions. We do not have a works-based faith. Rather, we should have faith-based works. See what I'm saying? We don't have a works-based faith, but we should demonstrate faith-based works. Another way to say that is that good works cannot produce salvation, but salvation most certainly produces good works. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared for us in advance, is what Paul says. John Calvin put it this way, It is faith alone that justifies 
But faith that justifies is never alone. Reminds me of a story I read about an old uh, Scotsman who owned a rowboat. And he would ferry people across one of those locks in, in Scotland, you know, and, and I guess maybe watching for the, you know, for Nessie, right? The Loch Ness Monster. Uh, and so he's, he's rowing people across there, and this one passenger notices that on one oar he's, he's carved into the, wor- into the oar the word faith. Another oar he's carved into it the word works. And the passenger says, I'm curious about this. And he asks him, well, what does that mean? And the old Scotsman put the, the, the oar that says faith into the water, and they just started going in a circle. He took it out and he put the one that said works in the water. He started going in a circle. But then he took both oars and he made a big splash of putting them both in the water and he started to row and they started sailing straight across the water. He said the Christian life is like that. If you have dead faith, it doesn't get you anywhere. If you have works but no faith, it doesn't get you anywhere. But when you put faith and works together, that's when you make progress. It takes both. Another example is to think about saving faith like breathing. When you breathe, it takes two actions, doesn't it? You breathe in, you inhale, and then you have to what? Exhale. You have to breathe out. You can't just do one of those, can you? You have to do them both. When we inhale God's grace, we are saved, justified by faith alone. But then we exhale compassion and mercy and sacrifice and service. We inhale God's grace by faith. We exhale good works. James counters his imaginary debater here with a sharp rebuke in verse 19. He basically compares him to a demon. He says in verse 19, You believe that God is one good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. James is raising the bar for us of what we should consider as true faith. Fruitful faith. And, and again, I'm going to talk more about this in my next sermon, which I'm going to call fruitful faith. So this is the negative one, fruitless faith. The next will be fruitful faith. But here in verse 19, James gives us a preview. And he shares with us two truths about fruitful faith. The first is this. And I think this is your first fill in the blank, so pay attention. Fruitful faith is more than intellectual belief. It's more than intellectual belief. Now, James's readers, remember, were Jewish Christians. They were Jews who became followers of Jesus as the Messiah. And in their Jewish background, they knew very well the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. James says, You say God is one, good. It's good to believe that God is one, James says. That, that's a good belief to have. It's true. It's right. But then James says, Even the demons believe that. Demons believe that God exists and He's one. Just believing something about God is not the same as having saving trust and faith in God. One of the marks of a false faith, in fact, is just being content with the fact that you believe in God. Is a, is a demon's existence, a belief in God's existence, is that enough to save that demon? No. Nor is it enough to just believe that God is to save us. Saving faith consists of, of, of it, it, it has to consist of more than just nodding in agreement with a list of statements about God. Remember, Jesus himself said that merely saying, Lord, Lord, isn't enough. Saving faith is more than just what you say. And those who simply tell a hungry or cold brother or sister blessings, hope it all works out for you, 
may just tragically hear Jesus say, Someday depart from me, I never knew you. And those of us who in faith are clothing the naked and visiting the sick and feeding the hungry will hear Jesus say, Because you did it unto the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. It alarms me how often I talk to people when I'm sharing the gospel or I'm talking about what I do for a living, as I involve people in conversation, how often I hear somebody say, oh, I believe in God. Oh, I I believe the good book. I've I've got one at home. And I'll think, well, that's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you if you believed in God. I asked you if you had a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, it's good you believe in God. It's good you got a Bible. But Satan believes God exists. Satan knows the Bible is true. He works hard to convince all of us it isn't, but he knows this tells the real story. He knows it. Saving faith is more than just checking off some boxes on what you believe. It's not so much what you believe, but who you believe in. Who are you trusting in to get you over that that chasm of sin that lies between you and God? That's what saving faith is. It's more than intellectual belief. Secondly, fruitful faith is more than an emotional response. The demon's belief in and knowledge about God is enough to make them tremble in fear. It says they shudder, they tremble in fear before Him. But it isn't just enough for us to have feelings about God. Whether it's fear and awe, whether it's guilt, whether it's warm fuzzies, it's not enough to just feel something. In our country, our country still has enough of the afterglow of cultural Christianity that most people have a pretty good feeling about Jesus. Right? They'll say, Jesus was a great guy. I love that he he was meek and mild, and I love he talked about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. I I love that he talked about forgiving your enemies and don't be judgmental. Yeah, Jesus was a great guy. He's my buddy. You guys remember back in the day, some of you might even have worn some of these, but back in the day when I was youth minister, it's probably a good 15 years ago, there was a line of apparel real popular that said, Jesus is my homeboy. And it'd be a trucker hat or a t-shirt. Jesus is my homeboy. It's not enough just to have warm fuzzies about Jesus. He's more than just a great guy. He has to be your Lord and Master if He's to be your Savior. You've got to trust your life to Him as if He's the only lifeboat, the only refuge in the storm because He is. Without Him, we are lost and destined for hell. He demands and deserves nothing less than our total surrender, our worship and our service to Him. If all you have is a belief in things about God, if all you have is a good feeling towards God, then your faith is dead, it's useless, it's fruitless. As we conclude, I want to call your attention to two little bit mighty words that are repeated in these, few, these five verses. The first one is the word say. Three times, James's opponent says something. He says he has faith. He says God is one. He says he wishes well on the needy. But that's all he has. All he has are words. Now, they're good words. Don't get me wrong. But a fruitful faith will back up words with actions. A fruitful faith backs up belief with behavior. But the second word is the powerful word. The opponent says a lot of things, but James shows. And just in verse 18 alone, he uses this powerful word twice. 
Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. James calls us to demonstrate our faith by how we live. Jesus did the same thing. On the night He was betrayed, after that first Lord's Supper, in John 13, Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you agree to the Baptist Faith Message 2000, which we do. It's a great document. I preached all through it. That's not what Jesus says. Not if your name's on a church roll. He said, by this, the world will know you belong to me, that you have true saving faith by how you love one another, by what we do as a result of our faith in Christ. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see what? Your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus expects us to shine. We have to be that candle that's lit. We have to shine our light and proclaim the gospel by what we do, not just what we say. And Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, what matters is faith working through love. Faith working. Now, where have we heard that? (laughs) Faith that works. We have to have a working faith. A faith that makes a difference in our lives. A faith that does something. Basically, we think about these two words, say and show. The Christian life is a life of show and tell. We're to live a life of show and tell. Remember show and tell in school? I loved show and tell day. Every day is show and tell day for us. Every day we have the opportunity to use our words and our works to give a complete picture of Christ to a lost and dying world. And my question for you this morning is, and listen, my goal this morning isn't to cast doubt on anybody's salvation. Rather, what I want to do is what the Apostle Paul said. I want to encourage you to examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Is your faith fruitless this morning? You might believe a lot of things up here about God, but do you believe God? Do you trust? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you turned to Him as the only hope for your salvation? Listen, this morning you may be under conviction. You may be, you may be thinking, but David, I, I got wet up there in that baptistry once. I've gone to this church all my life. My name's on the roll. That doesn't mean that you belong to Jesus. Have you trusted your life to Jesus? Have you come to Him and confessed your sins and asked Him to forgive you and relied on His grace to save you? If He has, if you've done that, your faith should be made evident. You should be bearing some fruit. Now, that doesn't mean that we as Christians bear fruit consistently all the time. Some some seasons the crop is a little low, right? right? Some seasons we struggle just a little bit to get the faith to the fruit developed that we know we need. Listen, as we respond this morning, if you don't know that you know you belong to Jesus Christ, if you need to give your heart and life to Him today and put a true saving faith in the hand of Christ, I invite you to come this morning. If you're a believer and you say, David, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm a, I don't always get it right. 
And I certainly have some seasons of drought. I certainly have some seasons where the yield is low in my life and I'm in one of those right now. This altar is open for you to come and to recommit your life to Jesus Christ and to say, God, forgive me for for developing a calloused heart towards people in need. God, forgive me for developing a calloused heart towards people who are lost and going to hell. I want to bear more fruit in my life. And you're welcome to come and to pray with me or to pray up here at the front. Or maybe God has just laid on your heart that He wants your family, He wants you to unite with this church, that this is where He wants you to bear that fruit. This is where He wants you to do those good works, to reach a lost and dying world with the hope of Jesus Christ. Whatever God is speaking to you this morning, let's be doers. Let's put our feet where our mouth is. Let's act on what God says to us today. Let's stand and pray together. Father... We are thankful, Lord, that you give us faith to trust in Jesus for salvation. We are thankful, Lord, that we are saved by your grace alone. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't work our way toward heaven. It's a gift that we freely receive. But, Lord, it's a gift you intend for us to put to good use. It's a gift that once we have it in our hands, we work it and we use it and we shine the light on you and we glorify you and we proclaim the gospel with our words and with our works. God, may we have a fruitful faith, a useful faith, a faith that works and makes a difference. God, whatever you're speaking to our hearts today, may we step out. May we step out and come down to this front to make a public decision to pray at this altar. May we step out and go out these doors into the week ahead, determined and committed to live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.